the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Quote.com slash commercial. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
it's so easy for our hearts to grow cold, bitter, angry. It's so easy to let ourselves be enclosed in a prison. And we need Jesus to come and break down the walls and help us escape. And he does that with unfailing love. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, the pastor at the National Prayer Chapel. With me is Alexandra. Welcome. Thank you all for joining us today. We're happy to be with you. And we have very important things we'd like to share with you. Hopefully, these sharings will change your life and set you free. When we say we love you, we don't mean that casually. We mean that very personally, that if we have an opportunity to sit down with you or to speak with you or to walk with you, you will find love flowing from our hearts. Because Jesus has transformed our lives. He's made us into new people. Both of us have, in our lives at times, been angry and bitter, hard. But Jesus changes that. He sets us free. We need men and women who are willing to set others free with love. Now, doctrine is very important. The teaching on repentance and righteousness is absolutely vital. But without love, it's a sounding gong. It's brass. It's nothing. It doesn't save anyone from their wickedness or their hardness or their bitterness. There has to be that divine, unfailing love poured out. The Apostle Paul said this most dramatically in what I think is one of the most frightening passages of Scripture. He said, If I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profits me nothing. Now that is really a shift in emphasis for most of us away from our church or our special opinion or our doctrine. None of that will save us. Even dying as a martyr will not save us if we don't have love. And that love has to be expressed in action, which we're going to talk about today. And frankly, the love seems to disappear when I think you should do something this way and you choose to do something that way. And there's a disagreement. It's easy to love when everybody is in agreement. But that's not how the world works. And without that love, we are sounding brass, tinkling cymbal. We have a story to share with you. It's found in John, the 13th chapter. It's just before the time of Jesus going to the cross. It says that he loved his own, which were in the world, and he loved them unto the end. That is, Jesus loved his people. To the very end, 
he loved his people. He never turned to anger. He never turned to bitterness. He never turned to judgment. He did not come into the world to judge the world, but to save the world. John 3.17 This is sometimes translated, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them fully which perhaps better expresses the idea you're trying to show that it was a complete, unfailing love that Jesus had for his disciples. And the supper was ending, and the devil had put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray him. What allows the devil to whisper into a person's heart bitterness and anger, hardness, that's what is fertile ground for the devil. And he will destroy people. He will destroy a church. He will destroy a family. If that hard-edged judgment is there. And the devil will whisper into that person's ear. And they will do crazy things. This may also be motivated by jealousy. We can imagine that Judas was quite jealous of Jesus and perhaps thought that he could do a better job at what Jesus was doing. I've seen many relationships destroyed because of jealousy. It's not always something like anger, but it's wanting what the other person has and wanting it so much that instead of being happy for that person, you just want to destroy them. Part of what I'm learning from my wife is to give people the benefit of the doubt. What do we mean by that? I love this phrase, benefit of the doubt. It's a, just another way of expressing what the Bible, the King James Bible translates it as charity. We often find it translated just as love, but Specifically, it means that you put the best construction on a situation or on a person that the truth reasonably allows. So you don't go beyond the truth and try to justify someone's behavior, but you do give them the benefit of the doubt. So I'll give you an example. We were pulling into a parking spot, and there was a woman who was standing in the spot and didn't see us coming in. Um, and one response could be, oh, she's just so unconscious, she's not paying attention, she's oblivious. And I said, well, maybe she just has trouble hearing, and that's why she doesn't realize we're coming up to her. And so when that's just kind of your heart position, that's a charitable heart position, and so as you go through your day and you go through your life, when it's true that you really don't know what the circumstances are, you give the benefit of the doubt. And this is a very safe thing to do because there's nothing worse than making an accusation against someone or assuming that you, that you know what's going on and then you find out that you were wrong and that you really insulted and hurt the person and you made an idiot out of yourself. So. It's always best to give the benefit of the doubt, and it's what Jesus does for us. I am very grateful that Jesus gives me the benefit of the doubt. Praise the Lord. Yes. Verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, 
and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherein he was girded. What's happening? Well, in that day you lay down, you reclined at the table, and then on one elbow reached out and took the food and dipped it in whatever was the food that you were eating. And your feet hung over the end of the couch. And because everyone wore sandals, they were walking on dusty, dirty roads. And so the custom was that when you went in to eat with someone, they would have a servant there who would then wash the feet of the guest. Now suddenly... There is no servant there. And Jesus stands up, takes off his outer robe, takes a towel and wraps it around his waist, pours a basin of water, and now he begins to do the work of a servant. And of course, I wonder, they had made arrangements for this event. No doubt they had hired someone to wash the feet. And that person did not show up. I wonder if even one of them thought, well, I should stand up and wash the feet of Peter or John or someone else's feet. I suspect the thought did not even enter their mind. <coughs> Pardon me. I suspect they didn't even think about it because it was not their custom, it was not their ritual, it was not what was considered polite behavior on their part. But Jesus girds himself, pours the water in the basin, gets down on his knees, and begins to wash these dirty feet and to wipe them with the towel. And he comes to Peter, and Peter says, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou will know hereafter. Well, what's he mean? He, he's saying, You're still very interested in being the greatest, Peter. You're still very interested in the kingdom coming and you gaining a position like James and John tried to do. They didn't see themselves as servants. Now, Jesus had taught this principle throughout his ministry. They'd heard him many times address this issue. There's another possible reading of this that perhaps gives Peter the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> Peter knows who Jesus is. He knows that yes. he's the Christ. He knows that he's the Son of God sent by God to redeem the world. And Peter is saying, how could you possibly wash my dirty, stinky feet? I should be washing your feet. Don't wash my feet. And I often encounter this kind of resistance to Jesus today where there is a consciousness of perhaps of our sin or of our physical weakness. Perhaps, you know, we there's one man I know who has a liver bag, has to be emptied every day. You know, we can be going through some pretty disgusting stuff and we feel like 
you know, I really don't want God to be involved in that, to see that. It's so disgusting. It's not even necessarily sin. It wasn't sin that Peter's feet were dirty. But we're ashamed because we know that God is holy and that he's clean and we're aware of our uncleanness. So this is a really good lesson for us because, as we'll see, Jesus tells us to wash another's feet and we're not to be put off by people who are dirty or perhaps have foul language but we're to get down in the dirt like Jesus did. So Simon Peter will give him the benefit of the doubt. It may have been simply that Peter was ashamed of his dirty feet and didn't want this pure Son of God to touch him, to wash him. But then he responds, If I wash thee not, Peter, thou hast no part with me. And Peter just rushes in. I love this about Peter. Lord, not my feet, but also my hands and my head. In other words, wash me all over, Jesus. Make me clean. But Jesus answered, He that is washed need not save to wash his feet, but in, but is clean even, even with you are clean, but not all. He knew who would betray him. Now, after he sits down, I'm going to read this because I want you to hear the lesson that Jesus is trying to reach us with. Verse 12. This is John 13, verse 12. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Lord and Master, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent is greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, and you do them, happy are you. We have a brief story we'd like to share to illustrate what washing the feet looks like today. We'll share a brief story from Jackie Pollinger. This is from a different book. It's called Crack in the Wall, Life and Death in Kowloon Walled City. This is more of a, almost like a photo essay. It has a lot of pictures. I encourage you to, to go online and see if you can find it. She writes, Street sleepers are always outcasts. They're often maimed or handicapped having been thrown out by their families because of the shame attached to their condition or because the financial drain had become too much. The elderly, who were traditionally the responsibility of the Chinese family, became the victims of poverty when there was not enough money to support them. Others on the streets had been brought low by unemployment, unable to get back into one of the most economically competitive societies in the world.
I will just add here, this has been my experience with speaking with men and women who live in the tent cities around here in Woodbridge is they have often been in a sense cast out of their family because it was too much of a financial burden. It's not that they chose to be there. The efforts of the Hong Kong government has already provided accommodation for over a quarter of the population, many of whom first entered the country as economic and political refugees. It was maintained that no Hong Kong citizen needed to be homeless or on the streets, and yet many continue to slip through the bureaucratic net. Pullinger says what is important is that we be like Jesus, loving someone even if he seems hopeless. We are going to try whatever happens. That is the heart of Christ. So this is how she ministered to these street sleepers. One of them was named Lee. Lee Fei was very much put out by the strangers who began to invade his patch under the Kowloon City flyover every week. He did not mind the food we gave out. If we wanted to give away rice and meat, who was he to refuse, especially since he hadn't eaten such clean, fresh rice in a long time, or such tender meat? The noodle stalls were good enough, when he had the money, but the food he scavenged from the markets at the end of the day was always rotting. It was the praying he could not stand. There would be two or three of us, and not always the same faces each week, although he began to recognize most of us after a while. What did we want to come and pray here for? It was not a church or a temple, and it didn't seem to do a lot of good as far as he could see. But he could not see much when it came down to it. His eyes were usually blurred by drink, and his voice sounded like it came from someone else when he shouted at us. He was often surprised to find a bottle of rice wine in his hand after his angry, arm-waving outbursts. He might have spilt some, and it would have been wasted. His annoyance was rekindled. We had no business being there. Why did we not leave them all in peace? But his friends under the flyover were not all of the same opinion. We not only brought food, but clothing and blankets. We came every week, in all weather, and this cheered them up. We said we would help anyone in trouble, or, or give a hand in applying for ID cards, social welfare, or housing, and we did. We also prayed for those who were sick, and told them about one who would look after them all the time, not just on Wednesdays when we came from the camp. One of the other street sleepers was especially pleased. He had such pain in his hands from arthritis, and we said Jesus could heal them. He'd never known the peace he felt when he prayed himself, and he watched with amazement and gratitude as the swelling went down in his hands over the succeeding weeks. When he saw this, Lee only jeered all the more. He was surprised that we were still coming after so long. Then Lee was knocked flat literally. Weaving obliviously along the pavement by the side of the flyover, the noise of the racing traffic above his head, he stumbled over the curb and lost his balance. The fall was heavy and his back wrenched so badly that he could not stand up on his own. The pain was worse than anything he could remember. When a rice box was handed to him on his canvas bed later in the day, 
He could not sit up to eat from it. Won't you let us pray for you? We said as we helped him eat. He was too surprised and in too much pain to let out his usual obscenities. He did not understand the words we spoke, and he hardly dared believe the pain had lessened, but it had. We were back the next day to pray some more and to rub liniment into his back. We kept coming. His back got much better, and the anger drained out of him. He decided he was not going to miss out any longer. Can I have your Jesus? he asked bluntly one day. We told him how, and watched as a smile spread across his face, then heard him say cheerily when we left, see you next week. So here we have a homeless community, many of them drunks, speaking curses, in need of food, clothing, blankets. They don't have ID cards, they don't have social welfare or housing. And Jackie Pullinger and a few others just keep going every week. They go the same day each week and help them every single time they go. They're very persistent. They keep asking if they can pray for people, even if they're hostile and curse at them. They don't give up because they really have the person's best interest in mind. Now, this is quite a contrast from how most of us tend to respond to homeless people, which is to drive by them. If we're not in a lane where it's convenient to give them some money, we say, oh, well, I just won't give them anything. You could turn around. You can be 10 minutes late to wherever you're going. You don't have to say, well, I'm, I'm so tight on time that I don't have time to turn around and help this person. But it goes much more beyond that. And that's what we see in this story. And so I just want to encourage you to begin to do this. It may not be homeless people sleeping outside, but to reach out to people who you know who are actually in need, who aren't Christians, but who need help, and to be persistent in helping them. And it's going to be dirty. They might curse at you. They might be physically dirty people. They might be drinking. But that doesn't mean that you write them off. And it's that love and that prayer for them that these people were converted and they were saved from their alcohol, they were healed, they were saved from drugs, and they became Christians who then went out and were able to feed and help others who were in the same situation that they had been in. And so they had a lot of compassion and mercy for them because they understood where they were. And they also knew Jesus, they'd met Jesus, and they knew that he could heal and save them, just like he'd healed and saved those who were now going out, the new Christians. So, how do we begin to look at this? I want to suggest to you that Jesus directed his disciples to wash one another's feet because there has to be a change in a person's heart if they're ever going to reach out to people like you've just shared this story of. The unlovely, the unwashed, the unclean. No, in our sanitized world, what I have often seen happen is a total lack of 
understanding of even the person who is in the church. I've seen people in the church shun other people, refuse to speak to them, refuse to reach out and put their arms around them because in their heart, they think they know some reason why that person should be harshly judged. They think that person has done something when they may or may not have done anything at all. But because the judgments flow out of their heart, they could never wash that person's feet. And this is why it's very important if you don't know something to suspend your judgment to pray and then to go and speak to the person in a curious way and find out what's actually going on and give them the benefit of the doubt i have found when i've done this usually there's something going on that i didn't even imagine and i'm really glad that i didn't make a fool of myself and behave on my prejudice that's what prejudice means it's to prejudge you judge before you have the information so maybe there's someone coming to church wearing jeans with a bunch of holes in it and you're thinking, well, they're just some kid. They don't care about what clothes they wear. Well, maybe if you talk to them, you'd find out that they don't actually have any money for new clothes and they've been wearing the same clothes for a few years. Maybe they did buy jeans with holes in them, but that was a couple years ago and they'd like to change it. And then wouldn't that be a great wonderful bonding experience for you to take that person out and help them pick out some clothes? Wouldn't that really build love and trust and give you an opportunity to share Jesus with that person? During the Jesus movement, hippies, filthy, dirty, stinking, dressed in funny clothes, would show up in church. And they'd pack the place and then they would sit on the floor and fill the aisles but church people got up and moved away from them they didn't want those hippies in their church they were messing their church up and the Jesus movement came to a screeching halt because it was rejected by the church now part of what happens here is we make these judgments about somebody. For example, let's say we know that a brother has struggled, that he has fallen into sin, that he's left the church, and now he's back. Maybe he walks out again, and then he comes back. So in the mind of the Christian, who has always been there, the elder brother, he's saying in his heart, I can't trust that person. They're always going to walk out. It doesn't matter how they've changed. It doesn't matter what their wonderful experience is, their humility, their brokenness before Jesus. What matters is what the judge thinks. And the judge thinks, I can't trust that person, so I'm not going to reach out to them. I'm not going to love them. I've loved them enough. Enough is enough. Do you think that person could ever wash the man's feet who walked away from Jesus? I pastored a church when I was a young man, 
and that church practiced the ordinance of foot washing. And it was always interesting to see the men as they paired up to wash one another's feet. I didn't get to see the women. They washed feet in one area and the men in another. But I watched as certain men would not wash certain men's feet. So the next quarter when they held their foot washing, I got in trouble with the church. I said, please today, don't wash anybody's feet that you feel warmth and love toward. Instead, who have you been avoiding in this congregation? Would you please go and wash their feet? Well, you could have heard a pin drop in there. People didn't want to do that. And there was one man in particular who'd been kind of obnoxious in board meetings and church business meetings and he'd made a lot of people unhappy with him in the church it gave me great joy to see five or six men line up to wash this man's feet and the love won his heart and the breakthrough happened Do you have people in your life that you just don't like? That you have judgments about? And if we were to wash one another's feet, would you say, are you kidding me? I will never wash their feet. I asked one, one person, one woman. I said, would you extend love to this other woman in the church? Would you go and put your arm around her and set some time when you can just talk with each other and her answer to me was no I'm not going to do that pastor I can recall sitting through some very painful meetings where one person would not look at or speak to another person but utterly shunned them from any love or attention or care no, please, these are very religious people. These are people who know the doctrines of the church. These are people who consider themselves to be wonderful Christians. But if we can't begin to love each other in the church, how in the world will we ever be able to go out and get in the dirt to care for some sinner who desperately needs to know Jesus It's easy to just write people off and say, you know, they've just made dumb decisions and they've made poor choices and I'm not going to help them because if I help them, it'll just be a waste and they'll do it again. This is so destructive. The command of Jesus is that we love one another as we love ourselves. This is sometimes called benevolence. And with benevolence, it means you actually have the other person's best interest in mind. You're not doing it for yourself, you're doing it for them. And so in some of these examples, for example, uh, we have one brother who kind of struggles a little bit. He doesn't usually do anything severe, but he just needs encouragement. 
And so if you were to say, as Pastor Ray was sharing, well, you know, I've already put in so much, I'm not going to put in anything else. You're leaving that person who actually needs help to flounder. And then how are they ever going to get stabilized? How are they ever going to grow? How are they going to mature? The people that were that there's a tendency to write off, those are the very people who actually need help. So in my mind, okay, I'll put in the love, I'll put in the encouragement, because I actually want what's best for the person. I don't want to see them get discouraged and leave the faith. I don't want to see them become bitter or become self-defeating or go into some snare. I want to see them become whole, loving, happy, well-developed, mature Christians. And the sad part is, bitterness in a person's heart eats their heart away. When I begin to pass judgment on another person, those judgments come back upon my life. When I refuse to love what I consider to be an unlovely person, when I refuse to love someone that I think has desperately wronged me, then that bitterness eats away at my own heart and belies my claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ. To follow Jesus Christ leads through being on my knees, washing my brother and my sister's feet. If I refuse to bow before my brother or sister and humble my heart, how can I be called a Christian? If there is anger and malice and bitterness and judgments, they destroy the inner heart. And frankly, it's a choice. It's a choice we must make. Will we choose to leave the bondage of our anger and our bitterness? Will we choose to leave the bondage and repent of the damage we have done? The judgments we've cast. Will we repent of that? Now, part of what happens in the church, and I've been guilty of this, please, is that we can preach repentance and we can preach righteousness. But if it stops at personal piety, it will soon grow an infection, a disease called legalism and I can have what I consider to be a close intimate relationship with Jesus and I can say Jesus talks to me I walk with Jesus but where did Jesus walk on his knees washing the feet of his disciples who were soon he knew to flee from him, for Peter to deny him. Jesus knew this was coming. 
So Jesus still got down on his knees and humbled his heart and extended love to Peter, even though he knew Peter would betray him. The most amazing part is that Jesus got down on his feet in front of Judas and he washed Judas' feet as well, knowing that Judas would sell him for 30 pieces of silver. Jesus' love is unfailing. He reaches out to us. But if we, in our superiority, insist that we're righteous, we are truly unrighteous. You see, you preach repentance and the people grow in repentance and they repent for their sin. And then you preach righteousness and they begin to understand what holiness is all about. If it doesn't go the third step, you will gain a disease. The third step is getting down on your knees and washing another person's feet. The third stage or the third step in the process is to go win somebody to Jesus by washing their feet, by loving them, by becoming involved in their life, not being so busy earning my money that I have no time to speak a word of the gospel of Jesus to another person. Always revival will come when we have repented of our sins, we have turned to righteousness and holiness, We've given up every doubtful habit. And then we confess the name of Jesus publicly. Now we're ready for revival. So I've preached for years on this radio, repentance and righteousness. I'm now coming and preaching the third stage. It's called love. Humility going not just the second mile it's going the third and fourth and fifth mile it's saying I love you with my actions so question how does this apply to you have you turned aside from your legalism your self-righteousness, your hardness of heart, your bitterness, your anger, have you turned aside from all of that and are you prepared to reach out and love another person no matter what the cost is to you? There's another story in Scripture. Maybe we can just reference it quickly. It's about Simon the Pharisee who is also Simon the leper. And Jesus has healed him, and he invites Jesus in turn to come to dinner. Yes, we've been speaking mostly. So another way of speaking about what we're speaking in in more contemporary language is to speak about a situation of an abuser and the abused. So in the case we're going to share with, the, with, with Simon the Pharisee, he is looking down on and judging this woman who is washing the feet of Jesus with her hair. Now, I want to bring this up because we've mostly been addressing throughout this broadcast 
those of you who are self-righteous or perhaps just negligent and I don't want you to mistake this if you are a person who is in a situation right now where you are being oppressed we're not telling you that if someone is cheating on you if they're stealing from you if they're abusing you or your children we're not telling you that to wash their feet is to stay in that situation of abuse that's not what we're talking about washing the feet is going out of your way to help somebody with what they really need it is serving them it's not submitting to abuse jesus came to set us free so please don't misunderstand this if you're in an abusive or an oppressive situation today we're not telling you to stay in that jesus came to make you free he came to make the captives free and once you're free you can then go to love and to serve and to wash the feet of others in need now it is true that you can still continue to pray for somebody who has wronged you but that doesn't mean you need to stay in the situation where they can continue to do that to you or to your family so the story we'd like to share from Luke 7 this is Luke chapter 7 beginning in verse 36 one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to eat with him. After he entered the Pharisee's home, he took his place at the table. Meanwhile, a woman from the city, a sinner, discovered that Jesus was dining in the Pharisee's house. She brought perfumed oil in a vase made of alabaster. Standing behind him at his feet and crying, she began to wet his feet with her tears. She wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured oil on them. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw what was happening, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. He would know that she's a sinner. This is the, the judgment and the prejudice we've been speaking about. So this is how Jesus handles it. Jesus replied, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, speak, he said. A certain lender had two debtors. One owed enough money to pay 500 people for a day's work. <clears throat> the other owed enough money for 50. When they couldn't pay, the lender forgave the debts of them both. Which of them will love him more? Simon replied, <clears throat> I suppose the one who had the largest debt canceled. Jesus said, You judged correctly. Then look at what Jesus does. He turns to the woman and says to Simon, Do you see this woman? When I entered your home, you didn't give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she has poured perfumed oil on my feet. This is why I tell you that her many sins have been forgiven, and so she has shown great love. The one who was forgiven little, loves little. Now, what I love about this is it shows that it's that encounter with Jesus, knowing that Jesus has touched you, that he has loved you, that he has forgiven and changed you, made you a new person, that then in turn motivates you to show that love to others. 
And that's what this woman do, did with Jesus. Simon the Pharisee didn't have that kind of touch from Jesus. And so he was still locked in his judgments. He needed to humble his heart so that he could receive that touch from Jesus that Jesus wanted to give him. And I also love this example because, as we've been sharing, it is dirty business to wash someone's feet. And imagine washing their feet with your tears and hair. I don't think it could get any dirtier than that. But this woman was happy to do it for Jesus. She loved him. See, the call is to come out of our own world, our own judgments, our own bias, what we think is right and wrong, to come out of that and wash the feet of another like Jesus did. He goes to eat at this man's house, and this man does not wash his feet. Are you kidding me? He's not going to wash this prophet's feet. People will think he approves of him. Even Simon had judgments against Jesus. He said, if, if this man were really a prophet, so he has judgments against Jesus, not just against the woman, but against both of them. He judges both. And, and, I, and that's the block that prevents him from showing love. Yes. Well, we're going to continue this tomorrow. I'm glad you've been listening. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray, and you're Alexandra Greenley. And we pray that you'll begin to wash others' feet, that you'll show love. Now, if you want to be a part of a house fellowship, we invite you to call. This is not your standard church. This is not a drop-in center. This is not an entertainment deal. This is the real deal. People who love each other, who wash one another's feet. That's what this is about. And who are willing to reach out to the lost and begin to draw them with love and service to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you'd like to be a part of that, I'm going to give you a phone number. Jot it down. Call. Speak with either me or Alexandra. And we'll give you directions for how to come. My phone number is 703-489-1785. That's 703-489-1785. Please write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, that's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. And please visit our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. That's nationalprayerchapel.com. You can listen to this message again, as well as past messages. And we invite you to follow us on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter at National Prayer Chapel. And yesterday I prayed for a divine intervention, and the Lord came. And last month's radio bill is covered. We gave a shout of victory to Jesus. Thank you to all who gave. And thank you for those of you who are already giving for this month. God bless you. We'll talk to you soon. With great joy.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.